are going to be talking about charity today, charity in the church. And uh, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 19. I have a few of these verses on the screen, but we're going to read this whole section. And uh, once you're turning there, I'm going to open our time together in prayer. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for your love abounding for sinners. We thank you that you are the God who gives and gives in abundance. We thank you that we have been made partakers of your charity, uh, that you have given uh, milk and wine and, uh, and bread that satisfies, and we can come and buy without price and without money. We thank you for your charitable, benevolent giving of yourself to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to think well today about what it means to be your people in the world uh, and what it looks like to be uh, people of charity and people of kindness and to use that as a way to adorn the profession of our faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about uh, charity in the church and charity, charity among Christians, I think this is a good place to begin. Uh, we were reading with our family this week 1 John, where John tells believers, uh, I'm giving you a new commandment, but it's not really a new commandment. It's one you've heard before, that you should love one another. And this is where it shows up in Leviticus chapter 9. Uh, just to remember the, the context here, uh, because I think it's, it's important, it's interesting for understanding the way that God calls his people to love one another. It's also within this context in Leviticus 19 that's bracketed by this idea that I am the Lord thy God, you shall be holy as I am holy. It's God calling his people to image forth his, uh, his character uh, among the nation of Israel, and stuck in there is this little mini-section about loving one another. I'm going to read verses 9 uh, to 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now this is uh, just an orienting thought for us today as we think about uh, loving one another in the way that it shows forth God's character. Uh, And I thought this was an appropriate class to have today. It was sort of an uh, uh, a unexpected class. Uh, we'll put it that way. We had to postpone our panel discussion today. That's going to be next week. And so I was thinking, what should we talk about? One more practical subject. Uh, but tis the season for giving and for charity. You probably have already seen the red buckets and the people with their bells out, uh, outside of the stores. This is the new cycle that we're in. 
Uh, you move immediately from Thanksgiving to Black Friday to Cyber Monday to Giving Tuesday, and I bet your inbox was full of requests from all the organizations that you may be somewhat associated with or somehow have gotten your mailing list asking for you to give on Giving Tuesday this past week. Uh, 30%, according to Nonprofit Tech for Good, 30% of charitable giving in the U.S. occurs in the month of December. And 12% of charitable giving happens in the last three days of the year. We know there are reasons for that. One of that is taxes. You've got to get your big gifts in before the end of the year so that you can get that statement and claim it on your taxes. Uh, but even if we're thinking in, uh, in that sort of way, we need to understand that the church is no different. Uh, and Redeemer is not different either. This is a graph at the bottom, and you may not be able to see all the data. That's okay. You can see the curves. Uh, this is uh, tracking our monthly general fund receipts from the years 2016 to 2021. You notice that each year, sometimes there is one blip in the middle. Uh, but typically, there is this upturn toward the end. And uh, on average, our December average is 13% of all of our giving happens in December. You see the green line there was last year, 2020, our largest month in the last uh, six years, over $80,000 brought in through general fund giving last December, which is wonderful. Uh, I'm not putting this out here to say, uh, you know, to make some half-hearted attempt at asking you for more money. Just want you to see this curve. This is the time when we're thinking about what are we giving? What are we giving to the things that matter to us? What are we, uh, maybe uh, for a pandemic year where many of us were at home and forgetting to send our checks, maybe December was when we said, oh yeah, I, <laughs> I need to get caught up. Whatever it was, the church is no different. And so December is a time that we think about charity. Uh, and so I think this is uh, an appropriate topic for us. Now let's, let's just sort of wrap our minds around it. What do you think about, or, or how would you define uh, the concept of charity. Somebody says, what is charity? How do you answer? What do you think? Yep. Just giving without uh, thinking to receive. Okay, good. Not a trick question. How do you define charity? Scott sometimes gives dollars bills to the pastor. That's, I count that as charity. Money you didn't have to work for, that's charity, I suppose. Anything else? Okay. Okay. Okay, so something given without a return to yourself. So uh, a lot like Ronnie's definition that you're, you're not, it's not an investment uh, in, in hoping to, to get a gain or a return, but it's, maybe hoping to go to benefit somebody else rather than yourself. Yeah, Cindy. Not something you're expected to give? Sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So it's giving over and above. Uh, it's, uh, you could think of it in terms of, uh, of 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver, not under compulsion, not so that it would, it would show up as an exaction, but so that we would give out of the, the joy of our hearts because the Lord has provided for us, so we should provide for others. Great. Greg. So general generosity, maybe even organizations or causes that you care about, but there, there's not some, oh, they're, they're going to go bankrupt if I don't support this organization. But I like them, I'm going to support them, right? Uh, NPR is doing their yearly uh, year-end fundraiser drive, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, one foot in the world, one foot in the scriptures. Um, but, but that's not charity. If you listen to NPR, you, you might want to support that. I don't, um, you know, but, uh, but there's a differentiation, Greg is saying. Good. Yeah, Chris. Paleo something something palms deeds. Yeah. <laughs> A second. like that. And the only reason I know the, the root of that word for almsgiving is because I'm teaching this right now. Um, and, and that root, ilio, is, uh, is connected to the idea of mercy. So in the New Testament, almsgiving is, is an act of mercy. And that's a good way to think about it, uh, that it's, uh, as Greg said, it's giving to a, a, 
uh, an actual need. We're having mercy on those who are in dire straits. Uh, but it is this idea that God is sacrificial in his, uh, his mercy, his compassion, his charity toward us. And he calls us to be the same. Good. No, uh, my uh, super scientific uh, lookup of charity, you can't see all the words there. Uh, but here's what Google says. Google says uh, it could be an organization set up to provide and raise money for those in need. It could be the voluntary giving of help. Uh, it could be kindness and tolerance and judging others. And then down at the bottom, hopefully you can see this one, labeled archaic. And this is where I want to go with this today. Archaic. Love of humankind, typically in a Christian context, and at least when you look it up uh, on Google, and I think they're using Oxford dictionaries, uh, they're saying, yeah, that used to be what it was. Not anymore. Now it's uh, the organization you support or it's the money that you give. Now it's general benevolence, but it used to be a Christian thing. Indeed, it did used to be a Christian thing. The idea of charity comes from the Latin caritas, meaning loving kindness. It is one of the words, though not consistently, uh, but it's one of the words that the Latin Vulgate used to translate agape in the New Testament. So it's love in action. It is this self-sacrificial love. The idea, the very concept, the language of charity comes from the scriptures. And looking at this and trying to explain how do we think about what love does when it reaches out to others. And so if there are those of you that have the King James, uh, when you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter is actually the charity chapter. And now abideth faith, Hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Um, now, all of this to say, why are we doing a, a word study this morning? That is to say that charity belongs to the church. This is our domain. We don't think of it that way anymore. Very often, charity is what the world does while they look down on Christians who only support those who look like them and believe like them and, and care about the same things that they care about. Here's an example for you. Uh, this is a letter from the Roman Emperor Justinian writing in the 4th century. Uh, and uh, this is from uh, one of John Piper's books. But you can, you can find this uh, online. It's, uh, it's open domain, open source Atheism, and by that he means the Christian faith, those who are godless and have no idols. Atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who's a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's us, care not only for their own poor but for ours as well. While those who belong to us, Roman uh, religionists, those who belong to us, look in vain for the help that we should render them. Here's the Roman emperor saying, why is Christianity spreading so quickly? It's because they're very charitable, and not only charitable in their own ranks, but charitable outside of their own ranks. Here's a statement from the PCA Study Committee report on women serving the ministry of the church, came out in 2017. It says, in the second century, church women provided nursing mothers who sat in the public squares while other women scoured the streets to collect the unwanted babies abandoned in the night. They nursed, bathed, and raised babies who would otherwise have died of exposure or become slaves. This is baked into the DNA 
of who we ought to be. This is charity as it belongs to the church. But as I've mentioned, here's the contemporary Christian, or the contemporary secular view, rather, that on the one hand, we have charitable giving. This is everything from the ASPCA to digging wells in Africa, anything that you can think of, anything that helps out somebody else, uh, and that can be put on your taxes as charitable giving for the end of the year. And on this side, we have Christian love. And I'm putting that in quotation marks because the world looks at the Christian church and says, it's not really love, it's bigotry, or it's supporting things that we shouldn't support. Uh, you know, and so on charitable giving for the secular view, that's uh, Planned Parenthood so that women can have access to health care. And Christian love, on the other hand, that's First Concern Pregnancy Resource Center. So we can dupe women into not aborting their babies. Right? That's the, the secular view, that these two things are completely separate. And we live in a world where we get maybe that far, typically. We have this whole realm of charitable giving out there, and we've got our Christian love, and there are things that we care about, and we care about one another, and maybe in the, little, in the middle there's this slice, and that's charity motivated by love. But the classic Christian view is this one that charity really is a subset of Christian love. I'm going to be referring to J.C. Ryle a lot. I think his, uh, he's got a chapter in this book, Practical Religion, um, and uh, a chapter just called Charity, and he's dealing with this idea from the King James, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, the greatest is charity. Um, but he has a good point. He, he says the way he understands it, because when you look in the, in the New Testament in the King James, it sometimes says love for agape. It sometimes says charity, and he separates that out a lot of the same way that the Latin Vulgate did, uh, that love, Christian love, uh, encapsulates love for God and man, uh, but charity is love for man, that it's our, our benevolent love toward our fellow man. And so he, he makes this really sort of a subset. Now, he has uh, a good definition, a good way to wrap our minds around what charity is and what it's not. Uh, he says, first, what charity is not. Well, charity of the Bible does not consist merely in giving to the poor. It does consist in giving to the poor, he goes on to say, but, but not only, and he quotes 1 Corinthians 13, 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You could be benevolent in the eyes of the world, you could be self-sacrificial with your things, but not do it out of charity. You could do it in December so that you can put it on your taxes so that next year you get a little kickback. You could be one of these billionaires who gives a, a very small slice and by comparison uh, looks much bigger than all of our own income for the whole year. Uh, but uh, if there's no charity, uh, there's no love in the heart, it profiteth nothing. Two other things he says. Uh, because, uh, again, this is connected to charity in the 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just our giving of our things, but the way that we interact with people. He also says charity of the Bible does not consist in never disapproving of anyone's conduct. It does not consist in never disapproving anybody's religious opinions. So uh, it doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that we just have to go around. You know, there's this distinction between uh, speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Uh, we, can, we can deal with, with ideas and doctrines. We don't have to just go along to get along, uh, but we ought to do those things in love. So this is what he says it's not. It's not just giving of our things. It's not just approving of everybody and all of their ideas and going along with the world. Well, what is it then? 
Well, he says the charity of the Bible will show itself in a believer's doings. You say, well, wait a minute. I, th I thought you said it wasn't giving. Well, no, it is. It is giving, but it's giving with the right spirit. It will show itself in a believer's doings. It will make him ready to do kind acts to everyone within his reach, both to their bodies and to their souls. It will not let him be content with soft words and warm wishes. It will make him diligent in doing all that lies in his power to lessen the sorrow and increase the happiness of others. So he says that the, uh, the charity of the Bible shows up in a believer's doings. It shows up in a believer's readiness to bear evil as well as to do good so we can be charitable toward one another. This is uh, what we typically think more often of, of just Christian love of bearing with one another's burdens, of, of not responding in kind when folks are evil toward us. And then charity of the Bible will show itself in the general spirit and demeanor of a believer. So our doing, our bearing, and our demeanor. And he asks, would we like to know where the true pattern of charity like this can be found? Well, not a surprise if you've read much Ryle. We have only to look to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as described in the Gospels, and we shall see it perfectly exemplified. Any thoughts before we move on? The next thing we're going to do is look at a few passages in the New Testament where we see different kinds of really restricted more to charitable giving. Any thoughts on what we've seen before we move on? Chris. Yeah, and I didn't have time to go too much further down. I realized as I was getting started uh, later in the week uh, that, uh, that we, could, we could go several classes deep on, on charity and charity in the church. But that's an excellent resource if you want to think about that. It's a little book called When Helping Hurts. Uh, I forget the subtitle now, uh, but I, I borrowed Andrew's copy this week <laughs> to uh, browse through it. It has, has some tangible things like uh, don't provide for others what they can provide for themselves. That's this idea that often you see, uh, you know, uh, I hate to say it, our, our short-term missions we, we think is going to be so wonderful for the people we're going to help. Maybe it can be, but it can be a hindrance. 
and really be more about ourselves, about patting ourselves on the back and saying, I've really helped someone out today, haven't I? Uh, but, but when helping hurts, it's a wonderful resource to think about how you can, uh, how you can help others with charity, both within the church and, and individually, without uh, railroading their own uh, ability to, uh, to help themselves as the Lord grows them in sanctification. Chris. question. Art? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to answer that? Are you able to share charity without sharing the gospel as believers or as the church? We can talk specifically in a minute about how our church approaches this, how we break this down, uh, because we, we do have an approach through our missions giving. Um, and through the, the particular organizations we support. But Tim raises a good question. Can we give charity without, as believers or the church, without sharing the gospel? Is it legitimate? Ronnie, what do you think? Ronnie raises this idea of doing something in Jesus' name. You know, Jesus himself talked about not losing our reward if we give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name. What, is it, what does it mean to give in Jesus' name? Does it mean that we have to say, I give you this in Jesus' name? Uh, or does it mean that we give because we're motivated because we're believers? Uh, I haven't researched that. But uh, food for thought, maybe. Um, Jay, what do you think? Mm-hmm. 
Let me, let me offer a response now that we've gotten a few thoughts, uh, a few responses. One, I think it's helpful for us to think about the difference between the mission of the church and the mission of Christians. The mission of the church is not to be a charitable, benevolent organization. The mission of the church, according to our Westminster standards, is to gather and perfect the saints. The mission of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, we often should do that, accompanying it with, uh, with good works. Read James. Somebody comes to you and needs, uh, needs food and clothing. You say, be warm and well-fed. Can that help him? Is, is that faith actually active in that situation? He would say no. But what is the primary objective of the church? It's not to take the gospel and set it to the side and go into all the world and do good deeds that nobody can trace back to the reason we're doing it. That the work of the church is to go into the world carrying the gospel, gathering the elect out of the nations, and making them into disciples of Jesus Christ and equipping them to do the same. Okay? Uh, and in our church, with our missions giving, we have a 75-25 breakdown. If you ever wonder about how our missions committee decides uh, what are the things that we support, we have a 75-25 breakdown between direct gospel teaching and preaching organizations or ministries and what we might call uh, mercy ministries, right? That's your first concern, that's your PACs, that's uh, all of these other things. But even within uh, those two breakdowns, we have, uh, we have commitments. If you're teaching or preaching, you need to be reformed. You need to be uh, someone that we can look at and say, you're teaching and preaching the same things that we're teaching and preaching. If you are a mercy ministry organization, which we recognize is a good thing, you need to be an avowedly Christian organization uh, that is out there doing good works for the purpose of spreading Christian love, motivated by the, the, the love of Christ. PAX is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful uh, example of this. Uh, we've heard from Lee Sillen how they take these, these surgeons in Africa, they raise them up, uh, they teach them uh, medicine and surgery, and alongside, they disciple them, and then they send them into villages and into hospitals where not only is there not medical care, but there may not be other believers. And they go and they have a witness. They adorn the profession of their faith with good works, and other people come to them and are curious. That's a wonderful way to think about it. I think the same thing could be true or ought to be true in our own individual lives, uh, though the Lord often uses individual believers to reach into uh, the needs of our communities in a way that the church itself and the structures of the church are not intended to. Does that help to answer that question at all? I think a, another uh, quick answer to that uh, comes from, it's been a long time since I've read it, um, George Orwell's little memoir, Down and Out in Paris and London. Uh, he tells the story of being a bum, essentially, uh, in the streets of London and going around to different places and how he knew uh, together with the other vagrants and the street people, he knew which churches were serving the brown bread and tea at what hours of the day, and they knew what you had to go through. 
So at this church, you could go and you could sit and they'll give you a 15-minute homily and you take off your cap and you bow your head and you listen, you get your tea and toast and, and you're out the door. Other places were more stringent and so they knew how to game the system. I think sometimes what the church and what believers need to be aware of is that there are people that look at the church and are gaming the system and that's okay. Sometimes uh, we ought to be willing to be taken in for the sake of getting the gospel across. Uh, so that, again, not an endorsement of Orwell, though uh, I enjoy it, uh, and you may as well. Uh, so uh, let's, let's see it in the New Testament then. And we're going to spend some time. we still got 20 minutes, uh, and, uh, and these are all the scriptures we're going to look at. So let's all turn to these together, but I would like to have some volunteers to read these passages. And as we read these passages, I want you to, to think about what do you see here uh, what sticks out to you? What is instructive for the things that we ought to give our time and money and charity to and how we ought to do it? Are, are there uh, items of wisdom that can help us as we think through what should we be doing in the world uh, and how should we be giving of our time and uh, money and charity? So uh, do I have a volunteer to grab Third John, verses 5 through 8? Tim, could you read those for us, please? Here's one category uh, of our giving and our charity, that is giving to send the gospel into the world. This is what John is talking about. You do well, even though you haven't known these men. He's, he's sending a letter of commendation. There are missionaries going about to the people that he's writing to, uh, and he's commending them and saying, you do well to help them on their way. You haven't met them yet, but they're believers. Uh, they're known entities in the church. Uh, and you would do well to send them along. What do you see that stands out? What do you see that instructs us, either the kinds of things we ought to be giving to uh, or the way that we ought to be giving? Good. So, so that's worthwhile, right? And, and we should think of that as part of our Christian love. We shouldn't divide, uh, well, I'm, I'm not really being charitable if I'm not supporting uh, a mercy organization. Mercy organizations are good to support. We as a church support them. I, I think you should support them. Uh, but uh, our missions giving is a large part of our Christian charity, our Christian love. Because the most loving thing we can do is share the gospel with other people. Good. Anything else that we see here that's instructive for, uh, for what we give to or how we should give it? Ronnie.
I'm, I'm sorry, I was, uh, I was tracing down a, uh, but, but there is this, um, there's this receiving of those who are, are serving and helping them, right? Uh, and uh, and it's, uh, it's, there's, there's hospitality involved, right? Chris raised the idea earlier um, that we have to do some heavy lifting sometimes. Well, as, uh, as white-collar middle-class believers uh, in New England, the easiest way to be involved in charity or missions is to write a check. <laughs> but sometimes that's not the best thing. Sometimes the best thing is to meet people where they are, to bring them into your home, uh, to help and, uh, and support them in, in different ways. Yeah, so doing it above board, right? Doing it in a way that you can, you can look at it and say, no, 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 we, we had integrity uh, with this. We didn't, we didn't take anything from you. Uh, we asked you to support, but, but there's not a, a compulsion going on here. Good, yeah, Teresa. Yes, ma'am. Let me try this on and see if, I've, see if I've got your question correct, all right? So you're asking the question, you know, if we want to reach, say, 20s, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, why send the mature believers who are 50s and 60s or older, who will just seem like they're lecturing, why not send the other 20s and 30-somethings out there to, to engage with their peer groups, correct? And how do we guard them uh, if they're maybe not as mature in the faith to make sure that, uh, that they're protected? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah. I think it comes down to basic discipleship at every level. I think it comes down to uh, warning uh, and watching our young people as they grow in the faith. Uh, it comes back to pushing them to spiritual maturity even though they're young. Paul writes to Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth, but rather set an example for the believers in life and love and speech and purity and faith and godliness. He, he tells them that, that even though you're young, you can be spiritually mature. That's the first answer I would give. We need to take our young people and, and see that they are spiritually mature, and that's going to take some nurturing among those of us who are older, right? Um, and the second thing is, is we ought not to take people who are not ready uh, to do certain forms of ministry and throw them out into the world. You sometimes see that, especially with these short-term missions, because there's this energy, there's this excitement, uh, and, uh, and so we're going to 
we're going to go do street evangelization uh, with the homeless population in, in Boston. Let's go. Let's grab the teenagers. Oh, maybe those teenagers aren't ready for that. Uh, and we need to be aware of that uh, and, and maybe not uh, jump headlong into things that, that seem very gallant uh, but are, are really uh, foolish and uh, unnecessarily um, dangerous, spiritually dangerous. Does that answer the question? Now, again, apologies to Ronnie. Uh, as you were asking your question, I was looking back at 2 John, because there's a little bit of a, a trick question here, uh, or, or a, a hidden uh, detail. When you look in 3 John, Paul is saying, hey, you don't know these people yet, but they're known entities in the church. They have a wonderful witness. It's good for you to send them on. When you look back at 2 John, he's talking about the opposite. He's warning against people who are going out into the world, and they're taking advantage of unsuspecting believers saying, I'm preaching the gospel. And they say, oh, that sounds good. Well, let's just send you into the world, right? Here's what he says. Many deceivers, this is verse 7 of 2 John, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Then verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. <laughs> if there are people out there who are charlatans who are trying to prey on, on believers, uh, saying, I'm doing the Lord's work, you ought to send me into the world, we ought to say, what gospel are you preaching? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection in the flesh. Uh, are you teaching good things? And if not, have nothing to do with them. Well, that would be uncharitable. No. It would be very charitable. It would be, it, sharing an evil would be, would be the opposite example. It would be uncharitable to support people who are preaching a false gospel and to send them into the world. So between 2 John and 3 John, we need to think very carefully about the money that we give, the organizations that we support, the missionaries that we send. Great. Now, let's look at the second one, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 3 to 8, and then jumping down to verse 16. Let's all turn there, and can I get a uh, thank you? Scott? Are you reading the New American Standard? Yes. Wow. And they made that gender inclusive there in verse 16. The ESV says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, the New American Standard says man or woman. Uh, regardless, uh, this is talking about supporting not those who haven't yet heard the gospel by sending missionaries into the world, but those who are part of the church, recognizing that there are those who are needy inside the body of the church. And you could read in verses 9 through 11, uh, talking about even some qualifications 
uh, which widows should we support and should they have a character of godliness uh, to, to receive the resources of the church. This is different than giving outside. This is caring for the needs. Remember, there were no social safety nets in this time. If you didn't have a husband, you didn't have sons, you had no income, legitimately. Uh, and so you need to care for these women, is what he's saying. But there are some guidelines. What are some of the guidelines? How is, is Paul telling Timothy to structure the giving and the support of widows, this charitable giving, uh, in, in a godly way? What are some guidelines we see? That's right. Uh, there, there is a circle of responsibility. And the inner circle is the family, and the outer circle is the church. And so the first level of response uh, ought to be the immediate family. In fact, there's this very strong statement. If anyone does not care for the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice the context that's not talking about parents caring for their children. It's talking about children caring for their parents. Honor a widow. This is the fourth commandment language. This is about caring for our elders. And if you refuse to take part in this, Paul says, you've denied the faith. That's strong language. Yeah, but it, it falls to the family first. There was some need years ago in the church, uh, and I was uh, in, involved in trying to help one of these older ladies who's no longer here in the congregation. Um, and, and I was really excited about doing this and helping. Uh, and then I think it was uh, maybe one of the deacons or, or maybe Jerry Maguire at the time said, well, let's wait and see what her family's going to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, that that's a good way to do it. She, she's got kids, uh, and so let's let them uh, care for her in that way. And so that's a, that's a good way to approach it. Other uh, guidelines that we find for our giving and our charity, caring for those in the church. Tim? Yeah, and he says, uh, part of the, uh, we didn't read it, but part of the qualifications, if they're not less than 60 years old. You've got a, a widow, yes, it's tragic, but you've got a widow who's in her 30s. He says she should get remarried and raise a family, and the family will, will care for her, and she'll care for the family that the church may not be burdened. Yeah, th there are some guidelines here, and really thinking about critically who is in need in the church. Was this a fist bump to say that uh, you're, you're set? You're on. Oh, good, good. All right. A couple more years. Hang on. Scott. <laughs> Now, now the reality is, um, he says, if anybody doesn't care for their own household, they've denied the faith. Well, what if their children have denied the faith? What if they are unbelievers? And they refuse to support and to help. Well, yeah, they, they might need the help of the church. Um, you can try and minister to the children. You can try and bring them along. Uh, but we can only go so far, and, and we use our discernment to say who... Who needs care in the church? Good. 
Anything else before we move on to another? Okay. This is a good fund, by the way, as we, as we uh, head toward the end. So, um, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4. Let's all turn there, and can I have a volunteer? Can I have another volunteer? Dave, thank you. I love you, Tim, but, you know. So here is a different category of giving. We've seen giving to send the gospel. We've seen giving within a, a local congregation, those that are connected. This is giving uh, during the time there was a famine uh, in Jerusalem. This is writing to the Corinthians. And all throughout Greece and Macedonia, Paul was raising support uh, to care for those who were needy back in Jerusalem. Believers they had never met. So here's another category. There are times and there are circumstances when our benevolent giving goes beyond the borders of our congregation to meet the physical needs of other believers that we don't know. So what do we see here that helps us to understand how we should think about that, Rob? would say this comes after uh, the Jerusalem Council of, of Acts 15, and so they're already convinced, but, uh, but it can't hurt, right? Um, he made three, uh, he made three trips, three journeys, missionary journeys total. This is uh, in preparation for his final trip to Jerusalem uh, and then being sent off to Rome. That's okay. History's hard. Combining your thought with Rob's thought, this was unheard of in the ancient world, and it was especially unheard of across ethnic lines, right? This is an example of Ephesians chapter 2, that, that in Christ, God has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. He's created one body in place of the two, 
And, and this is a realization of what our Westminster Confession calls the communion of the saints. There's a whole section on how we as believers ought to help other believers, even if we have never met them, because of our affinity together in the church. And this is what's going on. Paul is, is gathering support through Greece and Macedonia because there is a need somewhere else and there might be a temptation for these Gentiles to say, oh, those Jews. Might be a temptation for the Jewish Christians to say, we don't need the Gentiles' money. Uh, we're good, thank you. Uh, that's not how it works. He's saying, let's, let's be together. We're one family. Let's care for one another. Good. How about the logistics of this? We sometimes leave this to the wayside, but Paul's setting out, uh, there are accredited people here. Right? It, it's not... You know, whoever you want to send. Uh, go ahead, Jay. Now, what about, what about charity outside the church? We haven't talked about that. We, we've talked about sending the gospel. We've talked about caring for widows. We've talked about needs among believers. But is that where we draw a line? Is there a fence that says, thus far you shall give and no farther? Well, um, what about Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10? Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is an implicit uh, acknowledgement that our good deeds and our good gifts or, or, or our giving are, are uh, you know, the same idea when, um, uh, I believe it's Peter in Acts, summarizes the ministry of Jesus. He says he went about doing good. Well, he did. He cared for the needs of people. We ought to be going about doing good. And it should be to everyone as we have opportunity, but we should be focused on those who are of the household of faith. It doesn't mean that we say, I'm, I'm sorry, I only give to believers. Or if you're poor or in need or have a legitimate uh, need, I can't help you unless you profess faith first and become baptized member. This isn't, this isn't coming to the table of communion. This is our good deeds. Uh, and Paul says, let's do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. And keep in mind... Uh, this Pharisee, a lawyer. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This brings us full circle to Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, well, in that section, the very first thing was you should leave these for the widow and for the poor and for the sojourner. Another way to interpret that is the foreigner. Right? There are people among you who don't belong to who you are, yet you should treat them in the same way. You should give charity to them. And so let that sink in. So as we think about our charitable giving... Uh, any suggestions? I, I have a couple questions, but maybe you want to touch on some of these. How do you decide who to give to? Uh, how do you decide which organizations are worth supporting? How do you balance giving to deeds of mercy and evangelization? I told you how the church does it. 
as an organization. Anybody wanted to speak to any of these? Or suggestions for how you approach charity now in the month of December before the, before the tax limit is up? All right, well then let me give you two suggestions. The first is PCA MA disaster response. Uh, this is Arkley Hooten, wonderful name. I've got, uh, I've got to meet the man a few times at General Assembly. Uh, MA, uh, Mission to North America, is a wing of our denomination, and we have an organization called Disaster Response. It does exactly what sounds like uh, in the title. Uh, if you track the record of most disaster response teams, Red Cross, things like that, any charitable organization in the United States, you see the turnover of the directors because of the stress that's involved it is just a revolving door. Arkley has been the director and has been boots on the ground in every major U.S. disaster for the last 20 years. He, is, he has staying power, and our organization has staying power, and it reaches into communities that are hit by hurricanes and floods and all sorts of things. Uh, they go in and they do immediate uh, sort of um, triage, helping people. They, they gather flood buckets. They build sheds for if your home is destroyed in a tornado, they will come and drop a shed so that you can gather everything that will fit inside that shed so it will be dry as you try to sort through the rest of your belongings. Good work that's being done. If you're looking at the end of the year and you're saying, Oh, where do I give some money? M&A disaster response is, is one suggestion for you. If you need the link later, I can send it to you. And the other one, as Jay suggested, uh, another wing of our denomination, uh, PCA RBI, this is retirement and benefits and insurance. Uh, they're ministerial relief. They, they make a push at the end of the year, every year. What is it? Well, it's to go to support largely uh, widows of pastors. Uh, widows of pastors and pastors who are retired who are facing financial difficulty. The reality is this is a church that cares for its pastors very well. You look out for my pension. You make sure that I have what I need. I'm building equity because I have enough money to buy a home. Uh, that's wonderful. There are many small churches where that is not true. And years ago, it was uh, standard for the church to tell pastors, do not pay into Social Security. And now you've got pastors who are retiring and are not collecting any Social Security. Now, that's only one wing and arm. And we can talk about the economic impacts and, and benefits or, or costs. But the reality is there are some pastors and their wives who are aging out and are in need. If there's another place you want to give uh, PCA, RBI, ministerial relief. And there's my plug for those two. Uh, not bad. Only a little bit over. Let's pray and let's close. Gracious Lord and God, we pray that you would make us people of charity. As you have given abundantly to us through Jesus Christ, so we pray that you would send us out giving to others, doing good to all as we have opportunity, especially to the household of faith. Lord, make us your people uh, who give and who love in the world because you have loved us first. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.